Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit, my good friend Greg Cosell. Hit that subscribe button. Greg, talking defense today. What do you think? Sure. You know, the one thing I love about defense is there's a lot of ways to play defense in the NFL and be successful. Some of it comes schematically, you know, based on coaches and their view of defense. Some of it comes from use of personnel. But like most things in the league, there's many ways to be good at something. And, uh, you know, that to me is the fun about, you know, watching it and talking about it. I think a good way to get into the conversation that you and I talked beforehand about the Baltimore Ravens, I think if we go over them, we're going to get to a lot of what's happening in today's NFL anyway. Um, very modern type of defense. Early in the season, everyone got all excited with Cleveland. They were kind of the popular Twitter team. We put little clips up of Miles Garrett doing odd things and, you know, people get excited about that. But if you look at all the numbers and the metrics and then watch the film, and I, maybe you feel different on the film part, but just statistically, Baltimore has surpassed Cleveland in just about every way. And they, they are looking phenomenal, in my opinion. What, what, what do you what do you see with those well, guys? Well, they're a fascinating case study, Andy, in my view. And uh, we'll see if we agree or disagree on this. But to me, they're fascinating because to, they are far more scheme-based than individual-based. If you said before the season that their two edge rushers would be Kyle Van Noy and Jadavion Clowney, you know, I think people would say they probably are not going to be leading the NFL in sacks. Um, and they are. And I think that that is a great example. Mike McDonald is their D coordinator. It's his second year. He was there one year prior before he left for one year to go to the University of Michigan. And then he came back. Um, but to me, they're, the way they create pressure on quarterbacks, and obviously they lead the league in sacks, but it's also about creating pressure as well that don't mm -hmm. necessarily result in sacks. Um, to me, it's schematic more than, hey, let's line up. You mentioned Cleveland. They don't have a Miles Garrett or, or Zadarius Smith who can win one-on-one -on -one both outside and inside. They don't have that guy necessarily. So they have to scheme pressure. I love the way they use Roquan Smith on third down. He's almost always mugged up on the ball on the line of scrimmage. They do a lot of things schematically with a great understanding of protections of the offenses they're playing against. You know, you often hear the term, and you can explain this as well, you know, breaking down protections. Um, you know, they do a really, really good job of that. So they often get free hitters or they often get a matchup that they like. Um you know, that works for them because they can't just line up and say, OK, my guy's better than your guy. Although I do like Matabuki inside a lot. I think he's a guy who flashes on film. But but yeah, for the most yeah, part, yeah. Yeah, for the most part, they're not a team that just lines up and says, hey, our guy's better than your guy and we can win one on one matchups. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on Matabuki. I think he is. And he's gotten better every single year. You see the progression. He really started <clears throat> flashing a year or two ago. But you agree with my general point about how they play? A hundred percent, I agree, and I think what's in, what's I'll, I'll use the word incredible. You know, you mentioned Clowney and, and Van Noy, and they've looked good. Van Noy's looked pretty good, but yeah, those aren't guys that are winning on an island. You're not building around that. Michael Pierce has been part of some of their sub packages, a big nose tackle, and he's actually looked pretty decent. The part to me, Greg, these teams that scheme it up like we're talking about usually have a shutdown corner, or they're 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 very good at man coverage. These guys have been playing, and I know Marlon Humphrey's back, and he's probably a true number one corner in most people's right. minds. But they, he, he's only been back a few weeks. They've been playing with Ronald Darby, yeah. Brandon Stevens. Darby was signed in August off the street. Stevens, who's a one of those guys that's been back and forth between safety and corner his whole career. 
Arthur Mollett, who's been kind of a fringe slot journeyman type of guy. Those have been their cornerbacks for most of the season, and yet they're still scheming up pressure. And I think the part that really separates Mike McDonald from his predecessors in Baltimore, certainly Wink Martindale philosophically, but even the coordinators before that, is McDonald really believes in, in split safety structure, post-snap yes. and certainly pre-snap, lining up with those two safeties like the <laughs> fan field like to do, making you think it's middle field open or split safety. And then you can get to a lot of different rotations from there. But that's, to me, I think of Baltimore now as almost a split safety defense, which I never could have imagined that years ago. No, and I, and, and they, you know, again, without having uh, charting every single play, nor nor are you, I'm sure. But I, my guess is that they play more split safety than single high. If you were to chart their defense, um, and, yeah. and I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, it's funny you mentioned Molette. He's number ten, I believe, for them. He actually didn't have a bad year in Pittsburgh last year as the slot corner. Yeah. He's, he's you know, he's not. You wouldn't say he's one of the top two or three slot corners in the league, but he's not a bad player. Um, they've used Kyle Hamilton at times as a slot corner, depending on personnel, because they will play snaps of big nickel where they'll play three safeties and use Hamilton as a slot corner. And he's a pretty good blitzer as well. I mean, he's six four, two fifteen, two twenty. There's not a lot of guys like him in terms of the size and athletic movement, but it's mostly schematic. Uh, you know, like you said, Van Noy's had some good rushes. He's actually shown a pretty good inside spin move at times this year. Which yeah. is, you, know, you watch the tape and you go, wow, that's pretty good for a guy who's probably, what, 33, 34. But, you know, Clowney's never been a big-time edge pass rusher. You know, he's with his six team, I believe, and he's not yet 30 or he's just 30. And big-time pass rushers are not with six teams by the time they're 30 if they're big-time edge rushers. So, Unless they're Yannick Ngakwe. Well, there you go, who's actually a better <laughs> edge rusher than Clowney. Yeah, right. He's raging right. for a while. There's always a reason those guys are on different teams. We'll leave it right. at that. But I, I hear, right. yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, they need to scheme up what they do, and they do it really, really well. And, you know, they're not a man heavy team. So there's a lot of, you know, zone pressures because people need to understand when we talk pressure, people automatically assume, I think, that, oh, they're playing man coverage behind it. That is not necessarily the case at all in the NFL. There's zone pressures and there's man pressures. And obviously zone pressures um, have a match element because no one's just going to run to a spot and cover grass and stand there. But they're, they're at their core, there are not man pressures where you say, you got that guy. You know, so right. it's, it's, you know, I think they're really, really good at that. I think McDonald has a really good feel for that. Well, and, and uh, you're right. I'm not charting all these plays, but our friends at Pro Football Focus are, and they do a phenomenal job. About even 50-50 on split safety and single high. For Now what it's about, 50-50? Yeah, 234 total snaps of split safety, 208 single high. So, you know, call it 50-50. But right, when you so, get but it's still, yeah, it's still more than split. It's still more split, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it is, I guess. And then you get to the pre-snap phase, though. They're third in the league in number of open shell looks pre-snap, behind only Miami, Vic Fangio, and then the Rams, who've been doing that for a while with that Fangio right. scheme. Whereas so you that, mentioned Cleveland. It's funny. Cleveland, I think, leads the league in terms of middle-close snaps. So they're a totally different defense than the Ravens. Yeah, and they line up in middle class. They make no bones about that. They no, just no. Because <laughs> Delpit, Delpit is almost always a box player, and Thornhill, who's their deep safety, is almost always their post safety. Would you say a team, let's say if there's two teams that both play cover three on a, on a predominant basis, if you will, one of them lines up in cover three, single high deep, and the other one tends to line up in those quarters looks and then rotate the cover three. 
Would you say those are two different defenses, like identity-wise? Like, like is, yes. Is one of them I, less cover three-ish than the other because they line up in split safety? Well, the reason I'd say they're different is because I think the reaction to for the quarterback and the offense is different. So, yes, yeah. I, I yeah. would say that that makes them different. And, in fact, since we're talking defense, I'm going to mention another team whose defense I love watching, okay? You good with that? Yeah, you want to give me a chance to guess at it? Yeah. All right. Well, you're gonna have to. Well, give me give me one clue. Give me some kind of. <clears throat> they're in the NFC, and they're actually they may even be a first place team right now. Well, okay, that's a pretty strong. You're giving a strong clue at that point. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. San Francisco would be the easy one, but you said maybe first place, so you probably aren't thinking them. No. We've talked Detroit before. Maybe you're bringing them back up. No. All right. So Philadelphia. It's... Nope. All right. Just tell me. Just tell me then. It's Atlanta. Yeah, I'm with you. I love Atlanta's defense. I yeah. think that, see, there's a perfect example. See, now, they don't have a true edge pass rusher either. In fact, very often in their nickel, they play Calais Campbell as an edge rusher. Just like we talk about Kyle Van Noy being an edge rusher. You know, Campbell's obviously a totally different body type, but Campbell's not a true edge rusher either. So, um, but I love what they do. Now, here's a great I thought of it because you talked about showing cover three as opposed to showing split safety and then going to cover three. I think the Falcons do an outstanding job with disguise and late rotation. And I think that that's one of the things that makes them really, really difficult to play against. And because of the quality of their outside corners, A.J. Terrell and uh, Akuda has played really well this year. They do a lot where they let those two guys match up man to man and they have these zone match principles inside that are really difficult to decipher, in my view anyway. Obviously, yeah. I'm not the one dropping back with the ball in my hand. But watching it on tape, it looks like they're really – it can be difficult to decipher. And in this league, you know, you deal in fractions. A fraction of a beat is enough time sometimes for the quarterback to be uncertain and tentative in where he goes with the football and defense wins. So they're a defense I really enjoy watching schematically because of, of what they do. And, again, a team that does not have that one pass rusher where you go, wow, that guy is just big time. Yeah, I do that that newsletter for the coaches around the league, and I had a play in there on the film room cut up of Atlanta with a two deep coverage. It was in there specifically because I thought there were four or five different ways a person could interpret the coverage. It yes. was really hard to decipher. They stagger the safeties at different at different depths. They carry one side of the field zone off the other side, but they'll have certain carry or match rules on the zone side sometimes. I, and I hate really that stuff, Ed, because I have to watch those plays 15 times, and I still, after 15 times, say, I'm still not sure what the defense is. I know, and I and I, yeah. and I, 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 I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah. Combine time, you bring it. I'll bring my iPad and sit down. These guys will tell me. And Ryan Nielsen actually has been a guy I've had a long history with. Yeah, I don't know him at all. I don't know him at all. Yeah, I reached out to him out of the blue years ago because I was watching the Saints defensive line and just thought every week these guys look so buttoned up and dynamic and mechanically sound. And so I just thought, who's their D-line coach? And I reached out to Ryan Nielsen. We built a rapport from there. But he's always been um, really t technical. He's, he's got the right mix of alpha and technical to him, which a lot of these great coaches do. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I, yeah. And, and you could just tell watching their defense, number one, that, and it's not just him, of course, because you have defensive coaches who coach each specific position, but you can tell that there's a very strong attention to detail. They're fundamentally sound. 
guys are, are, are playing with the proper leverage and body position and technique that they're coached to play with. And I find their defense, even though it's frustrating at times because I can't figure out some things, I find their defense a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the, on those early downs, they'll play those split safety looks as well. And they're almost, I don't, they're not vanilla on first or second down, but they're pretty, you know, they're more confined. You get to third down and it's anything could go. And their stunts and the way they get to the yep. different stunts, I mean, it's, they're as attack oriented as I'd say any defense in the NFL, even though I bet their blitz numbers are not huge. No, and then, and you can see the the New Orleans influence there because they'll play both four one six nickel three two six nickel with two linebackers, which of course New Orleans has done for years. You know they've done it with Demario Davis and whoever the second linebacker is now it's Pete Werner. Um, but Cade Nellis, of course, came from New Orleans. You know I'm sure Ryan Nielsen wanted to bring him to Atlanta because he knows the defense and he, yeah. he literally he doesn't come off the field. He plays literally every snap and the other linebacker landman he's played well i mean you know yeah, they've got a, yeah they've got a bunch of really like good players they don't have that one although their safeties are really good uh as i'm sure you know jesse bates has been is a really good player grant's a really good player you know bates is is one of those guys that i sense sometimes watching the tape that he I don't freelance makes it sound negative, but I think he sees things and has an awareness to him that sometimes I feel like he steps outside of exactly what the structure might be because he just sees it. Yeah. And certain guys you give that kind of freedom to. It's interesting to see him doing that in his first season in a new scheme. I mean, Cincinnati, they did a lot of different things with their safety. So Bates is probably equipped to pick up new stuff, but you know, he, guys that do that tend to be the ones that have been in the system for a little while. This yeah. is obviously a new system for him yeah. and everyone else. Atlanta's blitz rates, by the way, are exactly the league average, about seven seven times per game on third down. I, I look at third down as a blitz blitz rate. Yeah, no, that, I, I agree with that. You, you That's yeah. usually a pretty good reference point for whether a team is, is sort of blitz heavy or not. Um, but yeah, they're to me, they're a really fun defense to watch. And, uh, you know, and they've gotten really good. You know, again, when you when your corners are playing well and it's funny, we talked about uh, Baltimore, you know, you wouldn't think Brandon Stevens, 21, who's played literally every secondary position over the last three, four years. You know, he's an outside corner now and you certainly wouldn't say, wow, that guy's a big time corner. But in the case of the Falcons, you know, Okuda was a high pick and he's playing well this year. And A.J. Terrell has been a quality corner basically since he came in the league. Yeah. All right. So let's say hypothetically then that Nick Bosa set the market recently for Ed Rusher, 34 million per right. year. And like, you know, the second highest guy is TJ Watt at 28 million. Bosa like obliterated the, the, the high mark there. If you're a GM and someone says to you, do we really need to be spending this money on, I mean, this is like quarterback ish money almost for some teams. Right. Right. Is that worth it? If we're going over to the leading sack team in the NFL, we started with them and they just said they don't have any edge rushers. Right. The One of the more creative third down defenses in the league, they don't have any edge rushers. Not saying anything negative about Nick Bosa, but as a hypothetical, is Nick Bosa and his ilk, are they worth it then? It's a fascinating question. I think the the immediate reaction would be, oh, yeah, you need pass rushers. That would be the immediate reaction, and that's the way for years and years. Look, you know how it's been for years and years in this league, the way teams think about, quote-unquote, critical positions, quarterback, left tackle, 
pass rusher and corner. That's the way it has been for years and years and years. <clears throat> is the game changing? It's a very legitimate question. Now, there's always going to be third and longs, okay? And we know that, hey, you'd like to be able to rush the quarterback. You'd certainly like to be able to rush the quarterback with four because you'd like to have seven in coverage because it's ultimately a numbers game. But in the overall scheme of the of the way the NFL is is moving, is our coverage players becoming more important? I had this conversation with a coach during training camp, a present defensive coordinator, who basically said the same thing to me. He said, I don't know the answer to this yet, but I'm starting to think that corners are more important than edge rushers the way the NFL is moving. And, you know, again, this guy's a lot smarter than I am. He's an NFL D coordinator. So, you know, but but I think about this with all the quick game throws and, you know, the RPOs and, you know, the ball coming out, you know, is is it more important to be disruptive on the back end uh, than it is to have the great, you know, pass rusher off the edge because you can scheme pressure on third down? Yeah, that's the old debate. Remember as a Falcons years ago on the, the – uh, Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov era, yep. I believe it was. It may have been. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, but they were, they had those conversations and felt they could scheme some of the pressure on third down. That's the first time I kind of heard that mentality elocuted was we can scheme up the pressure. We don't have to spend the money on it. We can, we can spend the money elsewhere. I mean, it's a good discussion. It's, um, I, I don't have a clear cut answer to it. I mean, let's I think about this one. Yeah, I don't know if there is no. one. I mean, look, I'm sure if you're a Steelers fan, you say, hey, we have T.J. Watt and Orlando and Alonzo Highsmith and they can, you know, rush off the edge and we can rush four and they can win and they can cause problems for an offense because maybe an offense needs to chip. Maybe they need to keep six-man protection and not send out that fifth eligible. There's so many variables involved here, um, you know, but it always comes down to down and distance and situational football. First down is obviously far different than third and nine. So, you know, you have to factor all that into the to your thought process and to your decision making into the equation when you try to figure out, you know, what do I need on defense? And then there's a lot of teams where, you know, the, the defensive coordinator is not necessarily a big believer in blitz. He wants to be able to line up with four down linemen, rush the quarterback, play seven in multiple coverage concepts, which ideally cause the quarterback to hold the ball for that extra fraction or beat. And then the four man pass rush gets there or at least impacts the throw. You know, there's, there's really no right or wrong answer to this. You know, there's a lot of teams that are not high percentage blitz, as you know, Andy, that also are, you know, but when they do blitz, they're really, really successful doing it. You know, Cleveland yeah. actually is one of those teams. Cleveland is a team that's not a high percentage blitz defense under Jim Schwartz, who likes to be a four-man rush guy and does a lot of interesting things in the secondary. But when they do blitz, they're really good at it. Yeah, and one thing, you know, winning on first down impacts your third down as well. There's a big difference. Right. I, I've learned this the more I've done advanced scouting and game planning stuff. You know, coaches don't sit around and say, how do we win on third down the same way? They they say, how do we win on third and two to five? Or some guys, it's right. two to six. And then how do we win on third and seven plus? And there are, those are two totally different worlds to a lot of coaches in the NFL. At Atlanta, I'm looking up now, you know, they're, they're giving up three yards per run on first and second down this season. So, and that's third best in the league. So they're facing third and long a lot more. And that's critical right. for a team like that because when you run the stunts that they run, those stunts take time. They're, even if you run them great, they're slow developing pass rushes inherently. So you need 
you need third and seven plus in order to really do them consistently, do the stunts consistently. You know, all this stuff relates and adds up together too. No, you're exactly right. So there's so much involved in this. It's, you know, it's always easy to say, and like you said, you're not taking anything away from Nick Bosa or TJ Watt or any of these great edge or, or a Miles Garrett, who's obviously a freakish athlete. You know, every team would want one of those guys. The question that we're ultimately speaking to, and there's no answer to it for you and I, obviously teams have to have an answer, is allocation of resources. Um, you know, do you want to allocate your resources to a, a single edge rusher? Uh, you know, Bosa, what'd you say? He gets 34 million. Is that the number? Bosa's 34 million. <clears throat> right. I mean, do you, want, do, do you want to do that? You know, that, that, it, it, and it, like, like you said, it's no knock on Bosa. We know he's a great player, but it's, it comes down to allocation of resources. Cause if you allocate that to him, then, you know, theoretically, even with the cap going up, it's still finite. You have less for others. So you have to decide what fits, how do you want to play? And, you know, there's so many variables. There's not one sexy answer. Yeah. And, you know, the big difference, obviously, with, with Bosa is his team's got Brock Purdy on a rookie deal, and the Ravens just made their quarterback, I believe, right. is Lamar the high. I guess he's been surpassed in the last couple yeah, months. That, but, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but, but he was, you know, they, they gave him the long-term deal. So teams are constructed differently. Who are the other defenses that are impressing you this season? <clears throat> oh, boy. You got to throw out some names because I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the teams now. Hold on. Yep, yep. Well, let's start with – let's go by uh, – Kansas City's impressed me a lot, and yeah, I don't think here. I don't think they get enough uh, enough play, so to speak, because of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but I think that Kansas City's defense, I think Spags does a really, really good job. Um, there's another team that plays. You know, they probably are. Um, you know, they play a lot of two man, uh, which you know, relative to the rest of the league. Um, but. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I think they're a really interesting defense to watch. I think Legereus needs a top 10 corner, if not top five. Could well be. He's a really good player. Um, you know, I think they, you know, I think, and they had to make some changes. They lost some people, so they've had to play some younger players. Um, but I think the, the way they they move around their defensive front it's there's there's a lot of movable parts there, movable chess pieces. I think they do a really, really good job with that. They can line up in three man fronts. They can line up in four man fronts. Um, they obviously can move Chris Jones around. They move Karloftis around. Um, I know Bolton is now out for a couple of months, but he's a really solid linebacker, which now makes the signing of Drew Tranquil, I think, really, really smart. You know, he wasn't necessarily playing a ton, but now he's going to play a ton. And I actually thought yeah. he was a good player with the Chargers. I did too. He's one of those guys that always winds up back in the lineup one way or another. I he agree. Plays, plays effectively when he does. And they sign him for his coverage prowess as much as anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting early in the season. I don't remember if they, and I watched their film this week. I don't think I saw it, but early in the season, they were playing some three, three structured personnel, yes. three down linemen, yes. three linebackers yes. and putting Frankel up on the line of scrimmage at times, if I recall. And the other guy they did was with Leo Chanel who's kind of more of their base linebacker. But, and what uh, they often did there was put Karloftis as the zero technique. Over the center? Yeah. 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 Was he standing? I don't remember. Was, he must have been. Was he standing up? No, no. He would, be in a, he would be – he'd have his hand on the ground. And Jones okay. in, that, in that look would be an edge an, – an, uh, you know, a nine-edge pass rusher. He's almost I – mean, he's played a ton of edge rusher this season, Chris Jones. <laughs> the other guy on their defense who I really like is Michael Dana. 
I think he's a really good player. Another one of those players that is not talked about very much, but he is capable of winning one-on-one and he can line up both outside and inside. Yeah, and he's he's a little undersized, and it never seems to be an issue. Which he's no. way undersized. Holy cow, two fifty. I clicked on his weight, yeah. two fifty-seven. He looks he looks bigger than that, but he's he's a smaller guy that makes plays on all three downs. Yes, <clears throat> but so I re- I really think that that defense, uh, you know, it, it, I think they're really good at times with robber and hole techniques with their secondary and their safeties. Um, they have a really good feel for that, and they kind of blur the line sometimes between whether are we playing single high or are we playing two-man. I think they're really good at that, just like the Saints are under Dennis Allen. So, yeah, they're, they're a defense that, like I said, they don't get talked about enough just because Patrick Mahomes is so good and, and that offense is so good. Yeah, and two things about, about Kansas City as well. They also have – I said I love Snead. You know, Trent McDuffie's lived up to his first oh, round. Bill. Really good player. Yeah, both of those guys can match up inside or outside yes. on man or zone concepts. I mean, yes. it's an incredibly flexible secondary. But Greg, this is another team we talked about: Baltimore playing more split safety, certainly pre-snap, but overall more split safety under Mike McDonald. We said Ryan Nielsen and the and the Falcons on early downs will line up in that structure, not give you a lot of tells. Kansas City does as much split safety as anyone, especially in their pressure designs. They do more split safety than anyone in pressure design. I feel like the quarter structures, the quarter's coverage concepts have really taken over the NFL, it feels like. Whether you're actually playing quarters or not, lining up in that look and initiating from that, just that seems like that's what defense is all about anymore. It's funny you say that because I was fortunate enough to, to speak with Steve Spagnola about this a number of years ago, and even though it looks like quarters when they pressure, it's not taught as quarters. It's taught differently. So it's not quarters in a strict sense, even though it looks like that, you know, because it, it does have a four across look to it, but it's not taught with the same technique, body position, all those things that go into quarters. Um, it, it's basically a blitz coverage, you know, so there's different elements and that go into a blitz coverage than would go into just, oh, it's quarters. But but you're right. They play a lot of split safety, um, if we're generalizing, split safety behind their pressure looks. Yeah, that's interesting. So is it almost kind of like – and he's not talking – I know like cover zero teams will line up in quarters and play cover zero in front of right. it now. Is he talking kind of along those lines? And he does a lot of cover zero too, incidentally. Right. Talking about it along those lines, or what else? What else did he say about that? Quarters? Yeah, well, we didn't. I mean, you know, again, I can't remember every detail because it was a number of years ago. But I just remember that you know talking to him about the fact that oh, this looks like quarters, and he'd say, but it's not, you know, and he'd say it's really a blitz coverage without going into like every detail. So I can't give you every detail, but it's it's not quarters in the way you normally think of quarters. You know, Steve, I was talking about Steve Spagnuolo to someone the other day. Remember when he took over the Rams? He was the head coach of the Rams in St. Louis for a while. Yeah, two years, and, I think it was. Yeah, and, and kind of the, the story coming out of that, the outside narrative was Steve Spagnuolo was a hard ass and he rubbed everyone the wrong way. The first time I met him, I asked him, I, 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 and I was like brand new in football, you know, like I was right, right, right. 2012. I was very young. It was in New Orleans, I remember. He'd just been with the Saints. He'd had a really bad year. He was going to be somewhere else after that. Um, we met at his apartment during the Super Bowl week. And I, I asked him, I said, I don't mean to be uncomfortable or anything here, but 
like all the reports are that you're kind of a jerk. I didn't know if I probably didn't say jerk, but right, you know, right, 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 right. But he couldn't be more opposite than that. And, and oh, my God, interaction no. with yeah. him, as good a guy as anyone in the NFL, respected by multiple generations of people. I think everyone across the league who knows him would agree. He's a guy you trust and admire and respect. Huh. And I asked him, you know, what? so what's the deal? How, how could those reports be out? He just said, you know, sometimes when you're having to change a culture of a team, you know, you got to change the culture of a team. And, and people aren't going to like that guy. Sometimes. Well, he got stuck, unfortunately. <clears throat> the first year he became the Rams coach, believe it or not, Josh McDaniels was his OC. You may remember That's that. Right. And That's right. Did you that do that the, NFL it, film thing with them? Were you? Were I did. You? I did. Yeah. I did a thing. Yes, yes. Uh, where I spent a lot of time with both those guys. Um, but the thing is, that year was was the lockout year, and they drafted Sam Bradford. And, you know, th they had no opportunity to work with anybody until basically training camp. And he said it just it was just a really, really tough deal. They couldn't implement what they wanted to do. They couldn't work with the quarterback. I mean, it, you know, it just became really hard for a first year coach. I mean, you know how it is with coaches, Andy, you've been in, in situ, you know, you've been in the league. I mean, all, what do all, all coaches want? Repetition and practice. That's what coaches want. And if yeah. you can't do any of that, they feel lost. The angriest you'll ever see a coach is when you start compromising the practice reps. You give them fewer reps, take things yeah. away. There was a, a day with with uh, with the Rams when I was there that th they thought it was time for padded practices and they had it all scheduled and found out a few hours beforehand. Actually, we need one more unpadded to be within the CBA rules. And that was the most terrified the building had been all year because, like, oh, that like the head coach isn't going to – like having to redo the practice schedule. Right, right, right. You right, think they right. just blew a you think they'd thrown a pick six from the five yard line on third down and inches or something. So yeah. Let me, let, me throw out one out. More let me throw out one more defense to you. I'd love to know your take on this defense. Because there are times I really like it and I know they're working in some some other players here and there. What's your take on the Bengals defense? Bengals defense, I mean, adjusting with the new safeties, I think we knew that would be kind of a work in progress to some degree because Von Bell and Jesse Bates, who we talked about right. a second ago, were so important for them. I think the Bengals defense looks really well coached every week, starting so with that. And, and good reminder, by the way, because remember when Zach Taylor got that job, he had trouble finding the coordinator. The different names were coming out and they were fall through. We thought might be Jack Del Rio, something changed. You know, he was, I mean, no one was taking the Bengals' D.C. job. So it's like, all right, well, here's Lou Anarumo. And, and Lou Anarumo like, who the hell is this guy? Right, right, yeah. And he's been as good as any D coordinator since that day, I certainly in the last few years. That's why I, I like it. Yeah. yeah, what I like about Cincinnati, Greg, and by the way, I know we talked about uh, Trey Hendrickson the other day off air, and I told you I, I, I think uh, – I'd take Aiden Hutchinson over Trey Hendrickson. You kind of looked at me funny. I'm coming around a little bit differently. Now Hendrickson plays with so much leverage. He's a little more flexible than I than he looks right. probably, which is <clears throat> but anyway, what I like about Cincinnati is they got a, a number one corner, in my opinion, in Cam Taylor Britt. And I think that allows him to do a lot of things because he can travel if they need, or usually he's playing the boundary. But I, I think a team like that that wants to shuffle through a lot of different coverages, having a corner, and we've they kind of have told us this about themselves because they invest in corners every year, it seems like. They drafted D.J. Turner recently. Who's now He's playing, play. who, who it looks like has unseated Awuzie as the other starting corner. 
Yeah, who was Awuzie was a pricey free agent for them yeah, not yeah. super long ago. Yeah, the, the teams has and they invested in Mike Hilton at slot corner. You know, they they want that position stable and talented and deep, and and it looks like they've achieved that. And I think that's a lot of what they do. They feel comfortable doing a lot of different things because they can match up outside most of the time. And, you know, it's funny how different teams have different views on the linebacker position, as we know. You know, you look at the Eagles, who don't want to spend a lot of money on linebacker. This is the Bengals really feel strongly about linebacker, and they've signed Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. And I think both those guys are very, very good players within their scheme, and they're really important to what they do. They're not really a nick uh, dime. Well, they do play dime. I shouldn't say they don't play dime, but those two linebackers are really important to what they do. They play that four corner dime that you and I couldn't remember who the other right, four right, 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 <laughs> right. They both- do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I remember you telling me that Nick Scott, you liked Nick Scott, you know, what he did with the Rams. So he's one of the safeties there, along with Dax Hill, who's a second-year player who's got loads of traits, and it'll be interesting to watch his continued development. Those guys, I I would have thought Dax Hill would be the box safety and Nick Scott would be the post safety. And those guys, they've kind of been interchangeable this season. They have season, been, yeah. Surprised Hill, me. It's Hill, almost, Hill is the game plan Hill's a tight end matchup, but you're right. Other than that, they're a little bit interchangeable. Yeah, and it's, it feels like it's almost each week there's a different theme. Like this week it's Dak, six, this week it's right. Scott. The other thing with, with Cincinnati, they have a really good special teams coach in Darren Simmons. He's been there forever, yeah. He's been there forever, and he's really highly, highly respected, obviously very respected in that building. He's been there through a few different coaching regimes. But one thing I've heard about the Bengals – You know, most teams, if you're talking who's on the roster bubble, kind of comes down to walking the guy plays special teams. The Bengals will say, no, if we're deciding between the fifth and sixth linebacker, which one gets to stay as the fifth, which one's the most talented linebacker? And and Darren Simmons, if the talented linebacker is is a bum on special teams, but he's a little more talented, it's your job to get that guy figured out and get him right. We're going to rely on you. We're taking the talent. We'll be patient with it. Jermaine Pratt made me think of this story because the Bengals, more than any team, they'll draft guys and give them the, the joke in the building is you're on scholarship when you get drafted with them. They give you a full four years to develop. And right. Pratt didn't play his first few seasons. And no, now here no, he's he on didn't. a second contract. And they just paid him. He's a good player. He's become a very good player for them, and he fits how they want to play. But it's a good testament, I think, to, to patience in the organization. And, you know, by the way, their their head coach was what he went, like three, four games over his first two seasons – and they they stuck with Zach Taylor through that. They understood some injuries were a factor, and now they've been as successful as any team in the league. I just think the Bengals deserve a lot of credit because they've been a very patient organization for a long time, and it's really paid off. For years they got teased about it. It's paid off hugely, though, in recent years now. No, I agree. They're there. I enjoy watching that defense as well. And and I think the way they use Sam Hubbard at times is really interesting. Obviously, they use him as an edge pass rusher, but they also will stand him up at times on third down. You know, sort of a movable chess piece, a joker, um, and use him as, you know, in different stunt concepts where he's the looper. Um, so, and, and you mentioned Hendrickson, and they're also pretty good inside. Hill's become a really nice player for them. We know about Reader, but I think he – Hills become a really nice player inside. So we've we've touched on their whole defense. I was at the Senior Bowl one year, and a player who is now on the Bengals showed up there just because he wanted to spend time around the coaching staff. His coaching staff, what the team he was on, was coaching the Senior Bowl that year. He wanted to just hang out and learn football from the coaches during that time of the offseason. Senior Bowl, that's unheard of. That's 
that's still playoffs are going on for some teams. Guys are not wanting to go put in the extra work that time of year. This guy <laughs> right. traveled to Mobile to do it. Which guy do you think I'm talking about that traveled to Mobile just to observe his coaches at the Senior Bowl? He's now on the Bengals? He's now on the Bengals. Starter. Oh, He's a starter. We've talked about him, too. Hendrickson? DJ Reader. DJ Reader, interesting. The Texans were on start, there. But he didn't start with the Bengals. No, but he's, I'm saying he's a starter for them now. But yeah, it was yeah. when he was with the Texans yeah. on the Bill oh, right. He started with the Texans, yeah. right. Okay, I got Yeah, yeah. He's a really yeah. good player. Yeah, he's been an effective player. He's one of those guys that kind of like Michael. He's like Michael Pierce before Michael Pierce. Those big, meaty nose tackles that are deceptively athletic and can play. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say sometimes he shows a little more pass rush than you might think. Oh, I th- yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. think he's a very good especially for the body type. He's a very good pass rusher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, any other defenses before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, we could go on and on, but we've talked about a bunch. So, yeah, let's, um, you know, we can probably stop at this point because, you know, there's there's certainly others that, I mean, you know, obviously I find the Minnesota Vikings under floor is really intriguing, but, we, but that's a lengthy discussion. We should probably uh, table that for another time. I would agree with that. And I watched their film. I'll tell you what. So you were saying how you get frustrated with the Falcons. I So you start early in the mornings on your film study. I know you've told me you feel like you see everything early in the morning. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I, in my office. I'm, I'm at my desk usually around 520. Yeah. See, I'll go late. I go till midnight or so watching. Nah. But by the, the very end of it, though, I'm not at my best. And so I'll and say I, I'm an old guy. I'm in bed by then. So I start yeah, early. No, in the I've, I've been with you at the Super Bowl. I know you, yeah. you're in bed by dinner time for some people. But, <laughs> but so I'll try to save the cover three defenses, you know, for like yeah. super late at night or something like that. I watched Minnesota late the other day, and that will make you feel really frustrated and inadequate because they are so unconventional yep. and so different. Like it's, you could spend four hours on any one of their games at any time. I agree. Yeah, they're, they're no, a hard they're, 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 they're a whole different conversation. That's not a finish-up for two-minute conversation. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we tease it for who do they do? Are they playing? Who do they got this week? They have we, Green uh, Bay this week. Yeah, well, we could. that could be a good one. We'll tease it then, yeah. maybe get back to it after this. Jordan, Jordan Love discussion, too, maybe on that. So – uh, on that note, we will leave it here. The, this is uh, the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell. Hit the subscribe button. Appreciate you listening and watching. We'll see you next week. 